Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Murphy's League. Today's episode is going to be yet another preview episode. I'm going to be previewing the entirety of the AFC East, possibly the most talked about division in all of football. There's a lot of changes going on in the East and a lot of hype built up around some of the teams. So I'm here to break it all down for you. There's going to be timestamps located down below in the description. If you want to just skip to your favorite team segment, feel free to go ahead and do that. And without further ado, let's get right into it. So my last episode kind of ended up getting away from me a little bit. It ended up being over an hour long. So I'm going to try and make this one a little bit more condensed. And also, I feel like some of these teams I just don't have to cover as much because especially in the case of the Jets, which I'm going to be talking about first just to get it out of the way, this team has been talked about a lot. Probably the most talked about team in this entire offseason. Obviously, adding Aaron Rodgers makes you a center of attention, but also being on hard knocks, you know, being a young up-and-coming team with the defensive rookie of the year and the offensive rookie of the year on the same team. Obviously, that, you know, comes with a huge talking point. Never mind the fact that they're literally in the biggest market in practically all the sports world, including the international scene. So, the Jets were talked about plenty this offseason. With all that being said, I'm not going to get into crazy depth about them because I'm sure you guys have already heard enough about it. You're pretty sick of it at this point, but I'm still here to give my takes and how I think they're going to end up being this season. So starting from the top, starting with the big man, number eight, Aaron Rodgers was added to the squad. Obviously, coming over from the Green Bay Packers, had a long tenure there, I believe 17 years on the squad. Coming over now, going into his year 39, or not year 39, but age 39 season, I should say. Um, so to get Aaron Rodgers, the Jets ended up swapping picks with the Packers in the first round, lowering that priority in the first round. Uh, the Jets, that was. And then they also gave up a second rounder, which ended up being Jaden Reed for the Green Bay Packers, uh, wide receiver out of Michigan State. And they also gave up another conditional second round pick in this next year's draft. If he plays 65% of the snaps, that condition is that it will become a first rounder. So, you know, un unless he gets injured, you know, halfway through the season or one game past halfway through the season, that's going to end up being a first round pick. So essentially, it was. A first round pick swap, a first round pick, and a second round pick for two years of Aaron Rodgers, possibly three. Uh, Rodgers, once he got there, reconstructed, reconstructed, excuse me, his deal. Um, he was slated to get paid a ridiculous mark. I think it was above $60 million this year. So in order to save the Jets some cap room and give them the opportunity to sign more guys like a Dalvin Cook, and I'm sure that next year they're going to be you know, signing even more guys. But Rodgers reconstructed his deal, so it's two years, $75 million. He also spread out the guarantees over five years. So he really just did the Jets front office a huge solid on this one. He saved them a total of $35 million this year. So really big deal on that. And they didn't take full advantage of it. But don't, don't forget that cap space carries over into the next year. So even though they did sign a guy like Dalvin Cook and they could still be on the market for some offensive linemen, you know, depending on how waivers play out and all that stuff. Regardless, he's saving money for them in the future, and if they don't end up spending that money this year, it could go into their next Super Bowl chance next year, because it is, sounds like he's going to be playing at least two years for the New York Jets, possibly more. Um, so the biggest story has to be, obviously, Aaron Rodgers coming in, and with how stacked this team is. 
can they live up to the hype it's not exactly a super bowl or a bust but this is the window this is their window now to win they have all the talent they've got a bunch of their talent on their rookie contracts still of course two of which being sauce gardner and garrett wilson those dudes are not getting paid you know the next contract up yet quinnon williams just got paid a bag so this is really the time to win now as far as where their young talent is and also bringing in aaron Rodgers as a veteran presence we know that he's maybe not exactly who he used to be he's still a very very talented player but he's not you know gonna absolutely put a team on his back each year each and every single year um obviously regressed a lot last year there's a lot of you know blame to be pointed whether it was his receivers you know not gelling with him and him just not trusting his receivers that's a really big thing for him is trusting his receivers and knowing that they're going to run the routes um that he wants to run and knowing you know just exactly how deep they're going to get or whatever it is, you know, just it it really is a feel thing between him and his receivers if he doesn't end up trusting them. Um, most of the time we see that with younger receivers. That's why the Jets decided to bring in guys like Alan Lazard and like Randall Cobb. They've been around him for a really long time. It's not only beneficial to Aaron Rodgers to have those reliable guys that he knows their games, but it's also beneficial to the young receivers that he's going to be playing with, that Randall and Lazard are there to mentor them, kind of be that translator from point A to point B. Um, because Rodgers, you know, he can be a little bit of a prickly guy. He's not always the most easygoing, but, you know, when you're on the right page with him and you're on, you know, what him and Garrett Wilson might have this season, something like that. It can be really, really special. We've seen that, you know, with another 17 and Devontae Adams, that connection was absolutely, you know, one of a kind, and it led them to a lot of deep playoff runs. Obviously, they didn't end up winning a Super Bowl together, but there was something super special there, and New York definitely has the talent to be that kind of special. Garrett Wilson has that talent to be that kind of special. So we'll end up seeing what happens. Obviously, if you've listened to my fantasy outlook, you know that I'm not quite as high on Wilson on some, but the argument for Wilson being you know, that elite receiver and taking that next step up is totally there. It's totally valid, and I'd understand why you would be all in on Wilson. I'm just not taking Garrett Wilson over guys like Jalen Waddell. That's all I was trying to say. But with all that being said, we know how much hype this team has around them. We know how talented this roster is, especially defensively. Um, their weapons are amazing. But defensively, you know, their D-line is really the heart and soul of this team. That's no surprise at all. Uh, their linebacker unit's fantastic. Their secondary played fantastic last year. Really, really just a lot to like if you're a Jets fan. But I would say the biggest concern overall about this team is just their offensive line. I like Connor McGovern at center. He is better than average in this league. Elijah Vera Tucker is arguably a top 8 to 10 guard when he's healthy. But other than that, I really don't love this line. I think Lakin Tomlinson's best years are behind him at the other guard spot. I feel like Dwayne Brown, you can kind of say the same thing about him. Uh, don't get me wrong, this dude was really, really good for a long time in this league. Has even had some good years in recent history, but he's going to be 38 by the time the season rolls around. And, you know, that's just not something you love to see along an offensive line that has already been struggling in training camp, at least allegedly. Obviously, take everything you hear with a grain of salt coming out of that, but... It is worth mentioning that. And then at the opposite tackle spot, Makai Becton, who has been named a starter, has pretty much dealt with injuries his entire career. This is very much a make or break year for him. And you know me, when it comes to injuries, I take to I tend to take the more hesitant side. I don't really tend to buy in guys that tend to be injury prone. I just think it's a bad bet to take because you never want to go out 
and you know invest in players that are injury prone because injuries are gonna find you you really shouldn't go looking for them uh that was a great quote from i think his name is nick from bdge he said that one time and it really stuck with me because it's just so true um again might be the best defense in the league um it, it would have been easily the best defense in the league last year if their offense wasn't constantly putting them in bad positions so I think the biggest concern for this team is really their offensive line. I think teams, even in their own division, can definitely give them some problems along the offensive line. Teams like the Bills, who are very deep in the D-line, even the Dolphins have added a lot of depth there. Uh, Jalen Phillips, you know, could be potentially be taking steps forward. We know how good the Patriots' front seven is. So from that point of view, it is an area of concern, most definitely. But I just think that their offensive weapons are good enough and their defense is going to be good enough. They're going to be in a lot of football games. I think they're going to win a lot of football games. And that leads me to my record prediction of the New York Jets. Um, don't get me wrong. I'm not, you know, over the moon about this team. I think the AFC is just so stacked. It's such a hard conference to make it out of that I don't see this team making the Super Bowl. Obviously, if I'm sitting here and their offensive line is healthy by the end of the year, would I be surprised if they end up making it there? Frankly, yeah, I kind of would, but I can't, you know, 100% be shocked that it ended up happening. Um, with all that being said, I do think there is a little bit too much hype around them. So my record prediction brings them down back down to earth a little bit here. I have them going 10 and 7, potentially 11 and 6. I was really on the fence between those two totals. Um, I should have looked up their over under win total really quickly. Let me see. Um, over under win total jets um because that's obviously like I, i'm willing to bet it's around 10 and a half so it's at nine and a half i would probably be taking that over frankly um i think they will get to 10 wins they were damn near 10 wins last year obviously they didn't end up making the playoffs but their offense was absolutely abysmal just to highlight some games here i have them splitting with every single team in their division i figured i'd play it safe in that regard i have them splitting with the patriots bills dolphins and then some other games, they have them winning the interstate game, rivalry game against the Giants. But I think that's going to be one of their toughest, toughest competitions, especially in the first half of their season schedule. Um, I also think the Cowboys are a really tough matchup for them. I think any team that has a really, really disruptive defensive line, especially guys with depth where it's not just one area where you're going to get a lot of penetration. I think they could beat the Giants because the Giants, you know, Unless Kayvon Thibodeau and Aziz Aljilari have really good games, I think the Jets have enough to contain someone like a Dexter Lawrence in the middle versus the Cowboys. The Cowboys have so many rushers coming from so many different angles and so many different guys being able to do different things. And again, I don't think the Jets' offensive line is has a strength at tackle, so I think Micah Parsons could have a really good game. My point is, I think the Jets' kryptonite this season is going to be their offensive line. I think it will cost them games at time times and i think it could be the difference in them making a super bowl or not so i think teams with just a really deep rotation on their d-line are going to give the jets problems this season but let me know what you guys think about the jets this season let's get into let's do the bills next why not all right so the buffalo bills let's think big picture for a second before i get into the nitty-gritty and what they've done this offseason um I also just realized I barely talked about the Jets offseason acquisitions as far as I talked about some of the receivers they got and I talked uh, obviously about Aaron Rodgers but I really didn't break down their draft or anything like that but whatever I, I really don't mind I don't think much of their draftees are going to be making an immediate impact besides maybe Israel Abadakanda but now he's got a really deep running back room there in the Jets so I don't know how much you'll be hearing his name but definitely keep that name in mind for future use because I was really high on him coming out of the draft all right 
We were done with the Jets segment. Let's get back to the Bills really quickly. Thinking big picture, how big is this team's window? Because, I mean, when you look at it, obviously Josh Allen, very, very young. You feel like as long as he's there, they will have a chance at the Super Bowl. He's pretty much always in the conversation for MVP. But then you look at guys like Vaughn Miller, who's really, you know, dealt with a lot of injuries in the past. They're paying him a lot of money. Stephon Diggs, obviously not getting any younger. I believe he's 29 years old now. Um, and then there's other guys like Tredavious White, who've dealt with a lot of injuries in the past. Guys like Matt Milano are aging quickly. He's been, you know, a leader for this team for many, many years. Their safety duo, Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde, they're not getting any younger. They've been doing it for a really long time, been very elite for a long time. But my question is, how much longer can these dudes, you know, stay at the top of their game? Because obviously Josh Allen's going to be there. And as long as Josh Allen's there, this team is going to be competitive without a doubt. But really the difference is, it's like, how long can you stay competitive versus how long is your Super Bowl window going to be open? Um, that's something that I think a lot of fans, Buffalo fans and football fans included, are going to be talking about this season. And of course, that includes can they make it over the hump and really be true contenders? We've seen this with plenty of teams. We've seen that, you know, the Drew Brees led Saints at the end of his career. This is what they struggled with. They couldn't make it past a divisional round. Even when they made it to the Ch NFC Championship game, they couldn't make it past there. So this is a team that we've seen back-to-back -back years. They've been bounced in the divisional round by the Chiefs uh, the year before last, and then last year against the Bengals. And then the year before that, um, three years ago by now, they made it to the AFC Championship game, but were bounced by the Chiefs. So really a team that's just never quite been able to make it over the hump, but has all the talent in the world and always seems to be very hyped up coming into this season. Um, some of their biggest additions in the draft and free agency draft, I really just want to highlight their first three picks because I think they did a really, really good job with the first three rounds. First and most obvious is Dalton Kincaid in the first round. He's been talked about a lot this offseason and for good measure. I mean, he is a great receiving tight end. He's not going to be the inline blocker. Um, you know, that a lot of these other tight ends can be like a George Kittle. Obviously that's like the, the, uh, what's my, what am I looking at? That's like the picture perfect model for a blocking tight end in this league is George Kittle. There's a few other guys that you can put in that echelon, but George Kittle is really just, you know, what it means to be a dual threat tight end as far as blocking and receiving ability. Dalton Kincaid is not going to bring that blocking side. Uh, but he is a fantastic receiving weapon for Josh Allen adds another weapon and I think that was a much needed addition because they I'll get to in a second but they lost a ton of receivers in free agency and it's one of the things that really concerns me about the Bills in total is just how reliant they are on Stephon Diggs and Josh Allen to just get it done I think it's an over-reliance and I think they needed to you know bring more weapons in and spread the ball out Dalton Kincaid although he is a tight end he's essentially another wide receiver out there he's gonna be amazing he might even creep towards a thousand receiving yards in his rookie year you know would be the first time in a long time we've seen that from a rookie tight end obviously Kyle Pitts did it but Kyle Pitts is himself is more of a receiver type this can be a similar type projection with Dal um, I almost called him Dawson Knox with Dalton Kincaid um, he, there were literally times at Utah he was the entire passing offense of this team I really really like this guy um, I think he's just an excellent fit for what Buffalo is trying to do obviously they already have Dawson Knox there who's very solid but I think they want to establish you know less 11 personnel more 12 personnel I think they want to establish the run a little bit more and I'll get to that with some of their free agent acquisitions in a second but I think they want to do a little bit more power running, a little bit more play action, put less on Josh Allen's plate, 
And I think that's the best way to win because, again, that really is the concern for me. It's been the concern for me over the past couple seasons, frankly, for the Bills. I just think they put too much on Josh to get it done. They also drafted Osiris Torrance in the second round. This is a guy I thought they were going to get in the first round. The fact that they were able to get him and Kincaid, I think that's absolute excellent value. Roger Saffield left in free agency. He was... um, you know, needed to be replaced along that offensive line. He was very, very solid for them for a few years there. Osiris Torrance, possibly the best guard in this draft class. It's been him, him and Steve Avila, but either way, great value there in the second round. He's going to be an immediate day one starter and make an impact immediately. Um, up next is Dorian Williams. This guy's got shades of Nick Bolton in his game, a little bit undersized, but just so twitched up, ran great times. I'm going to pull up his mock draftable profile right now because I want to just name it off the top of my head. Um, I can't name it off the top of my head just how well he did it in the combine, but I know he absolutely killed it. So let's check this out really quick. Dorian Williams out of Tulane. So obviously, you know, the concerns are his height and weight. He's only about 6'1", 230, which again, relatively speaking, he's a really big guy, but that's 16th and 11th percentile for linebackers. But looking at all the athletic numbers, it's insane. First off, yes, he is short, but his arm length is 92 percentile at 33 inches. You know, that is just something you cannot teach. That is an immediate advantage when you're trying to shed blocks. 10 and a quarter inch hands, those are again, 90th percentile stats. A 10-yard split of 154 and a 40-yard dash of 449. That is 89th and 94th percentile, respectively. So, I mean, respectively is what I meant to say. But, I mean, that is just, you know, measurements of an elite, elite, elite athlete, especially at linebacker. Again, reminds me a little bit of Nick Bolson coming out there in Kansas City, who, you know, Nick Bolton has the right guys in front of him, a lot of big guys. Nick Bolton had 180 tackles last year. Absolutely fantastic in run defense. I think Dorian Williams can do something very, very similar. In Buffalo, obviously, they needed to replace the guy in Tremaine Edmonds. Tremaine Edmonds, while a different linebacker, has a very, very similar skill set. This guy is just like three inches shorter than him. But other than that, that's basically the only difference. All the other numbers are very, very similar. And I think with the front four or five, you know, a rotation of guys that Buffalo likes to put there on their defensive line. With those four or five guys in front of Dorian Williams, they're going to keep him clean. They're going to keep his lanes open and he can fly around and make plays on the ball as he sees fit. That's what he did at Tulane. So let's get into some of their free agency additions. I mentioned that they lost a bunch of guys in free agency. So they lost Tremaine Edmonds, who obviously was a great, uh, great, especially in coverage, two-time pro bowler there. They lost Roger Saffield, who I brought up earlier. They lost Devin Singletary, who never really panned out as the RB1 there in Buffalo anyways. And then they lost three receivers. They lost Cole Beasley, Jamison Crowder, Isaiah McKenzie, who again, kind of not the biggest deal, but also does mean something as far as depth on the wide receiver chart. I'm surprised they let all three of those guys go because um, they honestly all play a pretty similar role and it kind of does leave a little spot open in that slot. But they did sign Trent Sherfield and Deontay Harry. I don't think those are one-for-one replacements, but again, adding Dalton Kincaid does kind of make up for that away. Even if it is a different position, he's such a heavy receiving tight end that it does kind of make up for some targets there. I think Dalton Kincaid's going to get a bunch of those types of targets. I just thought they were going to either sign one of Jamison Crowder or Isaiah McKenzie because they don't really have a true slot guy anymore. Trent Sherfield's probably going to be playing more of that role, and he has. we've seen that in the past. Um, I think their three receiver sets are going to be Stephon Diggs, Gabe Davis, and then probably Sherfield as the more speedster guy um, coming out of the slot. Even you know being able to play in the Z there, you can throw Stephon in the slot, Gabe at the X. You can do a lot of different variations with that um, 
11 personnel, those three receivers out there. But in the same token, it doesn't give you a lot of depth. Yes, you have flexibility with those guys, but there's just less numbers and less bodies behind them. So that is, you know, slightly concerning, especially if you have some injuries in the receiver room. It could get very, very Stefan Diggs heavy very quickly. It's already going to be, but even more so is what I'm trying to say. Um, they also lost their defensive coordinator, Leslie Frazier. So that's, I mean... That's a big deal to me. Leslie Frazier, one of the best coordinators. He has led, you know, a top 10 defense for year in, year in and year out. It's felt like they're in Buffalo, even through injuries. And they've dealt with a lot of injuries in their secondary, even on their defensive line. Don't forget, Vaughn Miller was very, very good before he got injured, but he was injured a lot of the year last year. Tredavious White has dealt with his fair share of injuries. And there's been guys that have stepped up, like Teron Johnson, like Dane Jackson. A lot of these cornerbacks that are either late round picks or undrafted, and he makes it work. So... I think Leslie Frazier leaving is a bigger deal than people are, you know, talking about. I really don't hear anybody talking about it. And I think it is going to hurt them a little bit on defense. I still think they're going to be solid. But, I mean, I am concerned about some of their depth pieces, especially, you know, in their secondary. If some of their guys can stay healthy, then I think they'll be all right. But, you know, if Tredavious White and Von Miller sustain more injuries, if they, you know, lose some more depth in the back end in their secondary, if their safeties, you know, age out and start to regress a little bit that's definitely a cause for concern with leslie frazier no longer there um okay i gotta wrap this up because i have been talking for a while let's go back to their free agency additions though because i was i got a little bit off topic there so they did add damian harris and latavius murray i mentioned that they're probably going to be a little bit more run heavy this year and i think that really does back it up i think they want to be more of a power team and using josh allen in a running role also you know totally opens up an offense and just you know, allows the team to be much more creative with what they're doing offensively. But I think we're going to see more inside zone power running schemes from the Buffalo Bills. And the signings of Damian Harris and Latavius Murray really back that up to me. Um, those are two, you know, very powerful running backs who like to run up the middle and they don't really like to run outside zone. So <laughs> I guess we'll see. Time will tell. But I still think this team is going to be really solid. Again, as long as Josh Allen is there, they're going to be a very competitive football team. So with all that being said, let's get into my record prediction for this team. And spoiler alert, it's going to be very similar to the Jets. Um, <laughs> overall, they're over under win totals at 10 and a half. So they're slated at one more win than the Jets, uh, you know, according to Las Vegas. I have them going 11 and 6. So pretty much the exact same record as the Jets. I mentioned that the Jets, you know, 11 to 6, 10 and 7 is probably where they're going to be at. I think the Bills are very similar in the fact that they're probably just one game ahead of that. I think 11 and 6 or 12 and 5 is probably where, where they're going to be at. If I had to put my money on it, I'd still think that they were going to win the division. I think the Jets are going to be very closely behind them. And yeah, with all that being said, let's get into the Miami Dolphins because this is possibly my favorite team in the entire AFC. Okay, right as I said that, I realized the Chargers are totally in the AFC and that's totally my favorite team in the AFC, but... The Dolphins are pretty up there too. The Dolphins are pretty cool. Um, I fuck with the Dolphins. Anyways, let's start from the top with the Dolphins. Obviously, Mike McDaniel going into his second year as head coach. He led one of the most potent offenses in all of the league last year, especially when Tua Tagovailoa was healthy. He is an absolute scheme master coming from that Kyle Shanahan coaching tree. He knows exactly what he's doing, and he has the playmakers to get it done. You know, just Kyle Shanahan is a mastermind mastermind at getting wide receivers open and giving them opportunities to get yards after the catch. We've seen that time and time and time again in San Francisco. Mike McDaniel carried that mentality and that coaching strategy very, very smoothly and effortlessly into Miami. And the playmakers to do it are 
just couldn't be better on paper. Having guys like Jalen Waddell and Tyreek Hill, two of the fastest players in the entire league, absolutely perfect for the scheme he's trying to run over there. And then I think one of the biggest offseason additions, because people forget, yes, you can have all the talent in the world. It doesn't matter, matter, excuse me, if you don't have the right coaching. Mike McDaniels, again, perfect coach for the scheme. But then on the defensive side of the ball, hiring Vic Fangio after his brief hiatus away from football. Vic Fangio is fucking one of my favorite coaches, head coaches, coordinators, whatever, in the entire league. Obviously, as a Bears fan, I've watched Vic Fangio completely transform our defense and made it into the most formidable defense, leading the league in takeaways um, multiple times throughout the years. So Vic Fangio is that 2018 Bears year, man. When Khalil Mack came in that first year, our defense was so, so, so good. We shut down the number one offense in the Rams, and then the Rams you know, found their offense being shut down again in the Super Bowl that year against the Patriots. And they used a lot of the same schemes that Vic Fangio was using that game. My point is Vic Fangio is a mastermind in the football world. He is a mastermind on defense. He knows how to use his personnel. He's got very, very creative schemes. He's the one who's really popularized cover two in recent history, as well as quarters coverage and even more cover six and some of this, you know, quarter quarter halves coverages when you're seeing half the field play cover three, the other half play cover two. It's very, you know, schematically advanced stuff but he his dbs just know how to play he communicates it to them very well he's got good leadership um amongst those db rooms he know he made eddie jackson the pro bowler that he was um okay this is enough about bears vic fangio let's get into how he fits with the dolphins i think the personnel there is just so amazing for him i mean think about it on the back end the safeties he has to play around with i mean as far as what can why am I forgetting his name? The kid out of Oregon. <laughs> I was really trying to remember it before I had to say it, but I just can't remember his name now. I'm going to look up the Miami Dolphins depth chart. Um, God damn, that's going to piss me off that I couldn't remember his name. Because I'm going to read it and be like, dude, no fucking shit. Yeah, Javon Holland. Javon Holland, what can that guy not do? Then you also have another former Duck, Verone McKinley. Um, I love that they drafted Cam Smith out of the draft. Obviously, didn't have a lot of, of picks this year. I think they only had four in the entirety of the draft. But their first two picks, they absolutely made count. The second round, uh, they took Cam Smith. They didn't have a first round pick this year because of the whole tampering with Tom Brady. And then in the third round, they took Devon A-Chain. Those are just two absolutely picture-perfect fits in this defense. Cam Smith is one of my favorite cornerbacks in this entire draft class. I believe he was my third rated cornerback maybe four him and joey porter were like neck and neck in my rankings that's all i remember i can't remember who i put above who i think i had him at four though either way uh jalen phillips set for a great breakout year i love what they did at their linebacker position obviously they drafted channing tindall a couple years ago who has a lot of experience especially as a blitzer and can do a lot of damage in pass rushing and then they have a great coverage guy in David Long, who they just added this past offseason. And then Jerome Breaker has been doing it for years down there in Miami. He's been excellent for all these years. Um, and then, of course, cornerback duo. Once he's healthy, this is going to be maybe the best cornerback duo in all of the league in Xavier Howard and Jalen Ramsey. Jalen Ramsey probably going to miss the first two months of the season, but they're going to be just fine with Cater Kahu and Cam Smith filling in for him. I love this defensive um 
this defensive personnel for Vic Fangio. I think he's got a lot to work with in the secondary. I love his linebacker unit. David Long was a great, great signing for them. I believe they only signed him for like $6 million per year, too. He was a great coverage linebacker last year for the Tennessee Titans. That was a really great value signing. And then there's guys, you know, that are really coming into their own and only getting better, like a Javon Holland, like a Jalen Phillips. Channing Tindall, I think, is going to see a more improved role. Uh, guys like Emmanuel Ogba, you know, can't forget about him. He's been great. Christian Wilkins has been great in his time so far in the league. And then one of their only offenses, or excuse me, one of their only weaknesses on offense, what I, I would say would probably be their offensive line depth, but their starters are more than capable. Connor Williams at center, Robert Hunt at right guard, Austin Jackson at right tackle. Obviously, Teron Armstead, one of the best left tackles in all of football. Liam Eichenberg at left guard. There's a lot to like there as long as they can stay healthy. Of course, health is definitely a major concern. Teron Armstead already been dealing with some injuries in the offseason as well as Liam Eichenberg. But if those guys are healthy and good to go, this is a very good offensive line unit. And then, of course... We know how good their weapons are. No need to even go over it again. I would say their only weakness on offense is really tight ends. If you're just looking at starters, that is. Obviously, I mentioned offensive line depth, but, you know, Durham Smythe, not really going to turn any heads there, but he's also, you know, and Tyler Croft. Those are two, you know, capable blocking tight ends because they're going to be playing a lot of 11 personnel anyways, and that tight end is really just going to be chipping. He's not really a feature, uh, what am I trying to say, a... Um, a featured part of their passing game. That's we saw that last year. Losing Mike Gesicki obviously hurts a little, but it's not like he was, you know, doing crazy great things for them anyways. It's also worth mentioning. Um, I haven't got to the Patriots yet. So we'll we'll get to that once I get to that. But Mike Gesicki's now on the Patriots, but we'll, we'll worry about that once we get there. Um, what else do I have to cover for this team? Of course, we know that this team is not afraid to take risks at all, and their window is now because of it. Obviously, we've seen them make huge splash moves in the past year. This is all the moves we've seen them make. Oh, I guess a little bit over a year. This is going into last offseason, but still. They've traded for Tyree Kill. They've traded for, for, I almost said Nick Chubb, for Bradley Chubb. They've traded for Jalen Ramsey, who they got for a third-round pick. Obviously, dealing with his injuries, probably going to miss six to eight weeks, but still, very aggressive move there. They tried to get Tom Brady, as I mentioned earlier, ended up getting caught for tampering, lost a first-round pick for that, that one. But my point is, this is not a team that's afraid to be aggressive. Oh, yeah, and they tr they're trying to get Jonathan Taylor basically as we speak. So this is a team that's not afraid to capitalize, you know, take advantage of their window right now. And they're going all in in this team around Tua Tagovailoa. I really hope that this guy can stay healthy because he's a really good story to root for. Um, and just what he was going through last year was awful. You know, you never want to see a team season be completely derailed because of one key injury. And in this case, it was multiple key injuries and it got a lot of negative attention from media. I really hope that he can stay healthy this year and we don't have to hear any more about Tua, his brain, if he should retire, all this stuff. It was just a really, really bad talking point for the league and the league definitely does not want to hear any more of it. So it'd be good for the league and good for the Dolphins, obviously, if he could stay healthy all year and, you know, praise up, prayers up that he can. I don't know why I said that. That was kind of weird. But <laughs> this roster is extremely stacked, like I mentioned earlier. Maybe the most stacked roster in this entire division. Yes, I said it. They might just be just as stacked as the Jets. They might be just as stacked as the Bills. Um, I don't even think the Patriots are in contention for that. But the Patriots, they have a decent roster, but just not in comparison to these three teams in the AFC East that are just powerhouses. Um, and, yeah, I mean, this is just a team that, 
I'm really, really excited to watch this year. We obviously know what their strengths are. It's their receiving positions. It's their run game. It's their scheme. Their coaching staff is one of the best in the entire league, in my humble opinion. Um, creative schemes, both offensively and defensively. I'm super excited to see how the Miami Dolphins do this year. And don't be surprised if they find a way to win their division. Unfortunately for Dolphins fans, I do have you guys a game behind the New York Jets. So I have them finishing 10 and seven. Again, wouldn't be surprised if it's 11 and six or nine and eight. It's probably gonna be in that range. Their over under win total is at nine and a half. So again, I'm right around that win total. Um, but I have them splitting with everyone in the division because this division is going to be really, really tight. And I think the teams that are really going to give us give the Miami Dolphins the biggest problems. And don't get me wrong, I think they're pretty much going to be competitive with every single team. But kind of similar to what I was saying about the New York Jets, I think teams with really deep defensive lines because I do worry about the, the Dolphins' offensive line depth. So I think the teams that are going to give them the most problems are, pardon me, are the teams with the most D-line depth and also teams that can run the ball very, very effectively. I think the Miami Dolphins have a little bit of a weakness defending the run. I like a lot of their pass rushers in Bradley Chubb, in Jalen Phillips, a lot of those types of guys, but I don't think they have a lot of elite run defenders. The linebackers are pretty good in coverage, but not great run defenders. So I think those are gonna be their two weaknesses if they run into very, you know, run heavy teams. I think the Patriots could give them some problems in that regard because we know that the Patriots love to run the ball and they gave the Dolphins some problems last year in that regard. Um, and then again, teams with a really, really deep rotation of pass rushers could probably give the Miami Dolphins offensive line some problems. So have them going 10 and seven. That's all I have to say about that one. I'm pretty much moving backwards <laughs> in the in the AFC East standings. I just realized I didn't really mean to do that intentionally. Not necessarily, because I guess I started with the Jets who I have finishing second in the division, Bills finishing first, Dolphins third, um, Dolphins and Jets are pretty much tied for second and third. It's pretty much a coin toss between those two. Um, but let's get into the New England Patriots. I pretty much just spoiled that. I think this team is probably the worst team in the division, but I don't really think that's news. I think a lot of analysts are saying that. So let's break it down. So let's move on to the New England Patriots. One of the biggest storylines in the New England Patriots this offseason, I guess in their inside their building, has to be Bill O'Brien coming back as the offensive coordinator. You know, he spent some time with Houston, he spent some time back at Alabama, and he was the offensive coordinator for Mac Jones at Alabama when Mac Jones had all the success that he did in college. So that's been a very big talking point in Foxborough this offseason. And there's a lot of rumors that Mac Jones has been looking as sharp as ever. We'll see how true that ends up being. Again, I just don't think the ceiling is really there for the team as a lot of these other teams in the AFC East, in the AFC as a whole. It's just, again, the AFC is so, so tough. I think you really have to be like the elite of the elite to compete. Um, I didn't mean to rhyme that like that, but either way, I just don't think Mac Jones has that type of ceiling that we see with a lot of these other guys in the AFC. There's like, there's not a lot that he can't do, but that doesn't mean there's a lot that he can do at a very elite level. I hope that makes sense. Um, we'll end up seeing, you know, how much that translates to on the field success because we've seen Mac Jones, you know, we've seen times where he's looked like a very, very solid quarterback that's been very accurate and has been more than just a floor general out there um, to give a point guard comparison. But there has been times where he's just nothing more than that. He's just average. He's a game manager. And he just makes the right decisions when you need him to. Again, that can win you football games, but that's not going to necessarily carry you over the top and carry you to victories like a lot of these top-tier quarterbacks can do. So 
Uh, let's start with some of their free agent slash draft acquisitions. First, they signed Juju Smith-Schuster to a three-year, $33 million deal, the exact same deal that Jacoby Myers gets. And again, I think this is just a very lateral move to Jacoby Myers. I don't think he's any better. I, I don't know if he's any worse. Um, but I definitely... I would say he's more likely to be worse than better, but I really, again, I really don't think it makes too much of a difference. It's really just a very much lateral move for the New England Patriots. I'm gonna pull up their death chart here before I get any further, and if I have any talking points about it, I can just pull it up so I don't have to type it in the middle, <laughs> the middle of doing this. Up next, they signed Mike Gesicki, who I think is gonna be a really, really good fit in New England. I really like what they're trying to do there. He replaced Johnny Smith, who was traded for a seventh rounder to the Atlanta Falcons, obviously having a connection there with Arthur Smith. It's a great fit for Johnny Smith going down there, but Johnny, you know, never really took off as a Patriot to get Mike Gesicki for a one-year, $9 million contract is a great value. Sorry, if you can hear my dogs barking. Um, that is a great value for Mike Gesicki, though. I still think he's a very good football player, a very good contested catcher, um, can high point a lot of balls. He's going to be used a lot in the red zone, in my opinion, for this offense. I really like the fit there. We know how New England loves to value tight ends, and I think this is going to be no different. Up next, James Robinson on a two-year, $8 million deal. Another really, really team-friendly deal for James Robinson, who, don't forget, is just a couple years removed from looking like you know, the solidified RB1 in Jacksonville before he was pushed out by Travis Etienne. But this guy, a couple years ago, his rookie year, I believe it was, was super, super solid for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Really, really tough runner and just fits the identity of the New England Patriots. Obviously, there's a lot of competition there in that backfield room, but we know New England likes to use a lot of backs. Getting James Robinson on a $4 million annual contract seems like a really good fit to me. They also signed Riley Reef at right tackle. I hope he's going to be more of a swing tackle. He's listed right now as their starter at right tackle, but I just don't see how that's going to end up working. Riley Reef, a guy. I'm going to pause this really quick and get my dogs to shut up, and then I'll start again in a second. All right, I think I think we're good. But yeah, I really don't see Riley Reef being the long-term answer there at right tackle. He's a 36-year-old veteran. I believe he's 36. I should probably double-check that. Um, long time Bears, he's 34. God, he feels older than that. <laughs> but um, speaking from a Bears fan, there's a reason why we got rid of him. There's a reason why he's no longer on the team. It's only a one-year contract with $5 million, but for him to be going into the season as a starter really does seem odd to me. And wouldn't be surprised if they made an upgrade there in the middle of the season. As far as re-signing goes and guys that weren't, um, guys that were with the team last year, sorry about that, they brought back a lot of members of the secondary. They brought back Jonathan Jones on a great deal for the Patriots. I thought that a team was kind of going to reach and overpay this guy because he's got a lot of versatility. He can play man or zone. He's got nickel coverage and outside coverage under his belt. But he signed a two-year $19 million deal for the Patriots. This is a guy that they love to bring back their guys. They like guys that know their defense and know how to play it well. They don't want to coach up new guys. Um, so bringing in Jonathan Jones, you know, one of the many Joneses in this <laughs> excuse me, back seven, makes a ton of sense. Two years, $19 million is a great deal for the New England Patriots. Jalen Mills, who's going to be moving back to the safety position, got a one-year deal with worth up to $6.1 million with incentives. Again, another just great signing for the New England Patriots. Very low risk, one year, and a guy that knows their system has been doing it for a couple years with them. Makes total sense why they'd want someone like that back. And then yet another guy that I think is a really good value and makes a ton of sense to bring back 
obviously the Patriots play the most dime coverage out of any team in the league. They have six DBs back there all the time. So bringing Jabril Peppers back on a two-year, $11 million deal makes a ton of sense. Again, another guy that can do almost everything for New England. And New England, that's just what they like to do with their cornerbacks. They like cornerbacks that can play safety. They like safeties that can play corner. They like safeties that can come down in the box and play linebacker like Kyle Duggar and those types of players. That's what Marte Mapu might bring to the table, but we'll get to that in a second once I start talking about their draft selections. They also brought back Mac Wilson, one year, $2.2 million deal. And I linebacker, again, just a guy that's been around, has seen it, you know, knows the scheme, knows the system, $2.2 million is really just chump change in comparison. Miles Bryant, another safety coming back one year, 2.6. So again, it's really clear that they're just trying to keep their squad together, even if it's just one more year for a lot of these guys, um, even if it is a prove-it deal for some of these guys before they move on to younger guys like Christian Gonzalez, Marte Mapu, some other guys that might be taking the reins from them. Um, the value that they got of that just makes total sense, and it really just made too much sense. You know, if these guys were available at these low numbers, why would you not bring them back? Because they know how to play your scheme. They can coach up some of these young guys and be veteran presence for those guys. It just makes too much sense. And a lot of these deals, basically every single one of these deals I just mentioned are super team friendly. So I think it was pretty positive moves for the Patriots in that regard. Um, some of the guys they've lost are Damian Harris, Jacoby Myers. Again, I mentioned he literally got the exact same deal as Juju Smith-Schuster. Devin McCourty, finally retired, longtime Patriot. He's been excellent for them for, you know, over a decade. And then Johnny Smith was dealt to Atlanta for a seventh-round pick, which I mentioned earlier. Let's get into their draft, though, because I really think that their first three picks were just really, really just had Belichick's hands all over him. First off, they got Christian Gonzalez, who I cannot believe he fell to him. It just seems way too good to be true. He can literally do whatever Bill Belichick needs him to do. It wasn't an absolute need for this team, but it also just makes so much sense. It it gives the this cornerback room some much needed size. Uh, Jack Jones, who's 5'11", 180. Marcus Jones, 5'8", 188. You know, an electric returner as well. Those dudes are fantastic, don't get me wrong. But, you know, facing some of the bigger receivers in the league who, you know, there's quite a few of those, especially in the AFC. You know, they, they can make some mismatches, especially down in the red zone. And then Jonathan Jones himself, a guy who was re-signed, I mentioned earlier, 5'10", 185. So all these guys are below 6 feet, below 190. So bringing a guy in like Christian Gonzalez, who's I think 6'2", 210, if I'm not mistaken, and also runs in the 4'3s and also jumps a 44-inch vertical or whatever it was. Um, yeah. Yeah, that that's an upgrade, a major, major upgrade in the DB room. Never mind the fact that he can rotate, play safety, play down in the box. You know, he has the tools to be physical and support the run. It's just makes way too much sense. And we know that Bill Belichick's love his lockdown cornerback, especially long, lengthy ones. Uh, we saw it with JC Jackson. We saw it with Stephon Gilmore and Jack Jones and Marcus Jones and Jonathan Jones, the Jones trios have all been incredible, but they haven't necessarily been those lockdown guys. And especially with, you know, Jack Jones dealing with some off the field issues. Uh, we'll see what ends up happening there. He's hopeful to be ready week one, but just think about the receivers in the AFC. It's the AFC East in particular. I mean, you got Garrett Wilson, you got Tyreek Hill, you got, who else? You got Stefan Diggs, you know, Gonzalez is going to be facing a lot of those guys for years to come. And it just makes total sense from, you know, 
the identity of the Patriots. It just makes way too much damn sense. They also got Keon White, who was probably going to take more of the Christian Barmore route as far as he probably won't get that many snaps early into his career. Um, you know, we see DBs like Jack Jones and Marcus Jones, who were both rookies, you know, get a lot of snaps early into their career. Christian Barmore, that was not the case for him. I think we're going to see him get a significant boost in snap count this year. But Keon White is just a similar guy where he's, you know, going to be playing that end position, but they're very comfortable with their ends right now. And Demetric Wise and Lawrence Guy, they've been doing it for a very, very long time. I think Keon White's just going to learn a lot from those guys unless he absolutely, you know, jumps off the tape in training camp or whatever it may be. Um, He's just going to be, you know, I think a little bit of a more character in the background. But just from a fit point of view, this is another amazing fit. Belichick has always loved these extremely high motor disruptive ends in his 3-4 defense. And that way, you know, it keeps the outside backers clean. And this, in this case, it's Uche and Judon, two guys who are absolutely fantastic speed rushers. Um, and those ends are really what gets a lot of those sacks and, you know, makes a lot of those plays possible. So Keon White just makes it so much sense from that point of view. Again, kind of surprised this guy lasted as long as he did. But I also get it because he was kind of underwhelming at the combine. But his tape speaks for itself. He's extremely high motor, has a ton of tools as far as length and size. This dude is like 6'5", 285 or some ridiculous shit that, like that with ridiculously long arms. I still have mock draftable open, so let me just actually check his his uh, metrics because I know they're just off the fucking chain. Yeah, he's 6'5", 285, 79th and 91 percentile respectively, 34 inch arms, 10 and a quarter inch hands, and then had 30 reps on the bench. That is fucking freaky. That is 89th percentile. That is a long, strong dude who I think is going to be a great fit in this New England defense for a long time. They also got Marte Mapu out of Sac State in the third round. Uh, it's really cool to see a guy from Sac State go this early in the draft. And of course, it was New England to do it. This was their Cole Strange pick of this year. Um, you know, a guy that probably wasn't even projected to go anywhere near here. But... Again, the Patriots play the most dime in the league, and it just makes so much sense because this guy, he's listed as a linebacker, but he really is a safety out there, and he hits like a fucking linebacker. I'll say that. He hits like a linebacker, flies around like a safety. It's a perfect fit for what New England wants to do. Again, you know, he's great in coverage, which makes him, you know, being able to play and stay on the field at all times, whether it's helping out in run support or, you know, helping in those dime packages that they love to run. It just makes so much sense from that point of view. Keishon Butte is definitely an interesting pick. He absolutely shit the bed at the combine, but not too long ago at LSU, he was being talked about as the best receiver in this draft class. So going to New England, definitely an interesting fit there. We'll be able to see what his coaching staff can bring out of him. Um, yeah, just something to monitor. I don't think he's going to be an immediate starter by any means. I don't even know if he's going to get snaps this year, but definitely something to keep your eye on because this was a highly, highly touted prospect at one point before he absolutely fell off a cliff and destroyed his stock. Overall, I still worry about the Patriots offense all in all. And I think overall they had the ninth least rushing yards in the league and they were 10th least in attempts, which was really, really surprising to me. I think we're going to see a lot more of a running balanced team in this year. I think we're going to see a lot more play action, a lot more getting back to their roots, a lot more power running game. Um, obviously, bringing Ezekiel Elliott in is definitely going to help with that identity. I think we're going to see that being brought back to the Patriots. And then Mac Jones is going to be working off play action. Sorry if you can hear the marking. Um, but, you know, 
Zeke coming in definitely makes sense for what they want to do, power running, and he can also pass block very, very well, very, very capable pass blocker. And of course, I think their defense is going to be continue to be elite, but I just don't think they're going to be able to keep up with some of the competition in their own division. So for all those reasons, I have them going nine and eight, still barely breaking the winning record. I think their win total, um, let me check up, the, let me look that up, Patriots win total um it's at seven and a half and that's plus 115 dude okay that seems like good value i would i would definitely be taking that i have them a game and a half over that and it's plus money i would have expected it to be like minus 125 of that but i mean just don't bet against belichick you know you only need him to go eight and nine and you still cash out on that and i don't think they're gonna have a losing record frankly we'll see i just can never count out belichick and his defense they're always going to be elite bill o'brien coming in and leading this offense they should at least be Middling, they should at least be average. <laughs> we'll end up seeing how it all plays out, but that's gonna do it for today's episode. I hope you guys did enjoy it. If you did, be sure to share this with your friends and family. I appreciate each and every single one of y'all. Have a great rest of your day. More preview episodes coming out soon. I'm so excited for this NFL season. Be sure to follow me here on Spotify for all the latest and greatest on the NFL. Be sure to go follow my Instagram over at Murphy's League. Again, share this with your friends and family. I appreciate each and every single one of y'all. And peace out. Mm-hmm.